master of recording. I'm recording now. All right, so I did think of, um, I thought of something we can do for a cold open, for a little icebreaker. Um, we'll let, we're gonna do like a, a, what's the word for that? Like, um, like a flash, no, what the fuck is it called? A lightning round of Ooh. like topics that a normal podcast would have covered over the last period that we were in a hi- hiatus. So I'll just tell you uh, an item and you'll give me your immediate take. Ready? Okay. This sounds fun. Uh, The U.S. withdrew troops from Afghanistan. Yeah. (laughs) That happened. (laughs) About time? That's a a winner of a take for sure. Okay. Uh, Okay. uh, AOC wore a statement dressed to the Met Gala. Yeah. I don't have a lot more to say. About I feel that like one. you didn't. You didn't see this that. This is why one. we don't have that kind of a podcast. I guess. Oh, all right. Well, this is no. Let's keep going. This is fun. I like. It. I hope there is one where I'm like. Yeah, no, I, I feel like you could potentially do the take that no one has had yet. With all these dumb, boring things. Well, it um, might. It might happen. It might happen. Yeah. Okay. We'll keep, not we'll those. Keep, not not those two. Okay. We'll keep going. Um, uh, we got vaccines, but everybody hates them. Yeah, that's that. I think that is a topic that we should do. Like, I have a lot of thoughts about that, but no, no. Okay, no, not not a lightning round topic. Fair, not a lightning round topic. fair enough. Okay. What else? Um, uh, uh, Jake Paul won another boxing match. Good for Jake. All right, good. That's an original Jake. We're on Team Jake. Okay. I don't know. I don't fucking know. That guy really sucks. Um, uh, what else happened? Um, uh oh the the there's a, uh, a the dog the bounty hunter is trying to find the guy that killed that van uh that van blogger the guy yeah that that one's neat i saw that he had a, a plane flying around an island just being like i'm coming for you fucker and dog uh, does yeah. yeah and i think that that is the funniest thing i've ever seen that guy has renewed his relevance for sure this is his yeah. moment um okay let me think of a good one what else do we have oh canada had an election and it wound up being the result was the exact same as it was before your thoughts i think um that was one of the funnier elections like my favorite part was that the all the other parties their like platform was basically can you believe we're having an election yeah and somehow even that wasn't a good enough uh, message to sway um, the voters in any strong problem. Yeah, because everybody's like, everybody knew what exactly what was going to happen. And mm-hmm. so they were just like, can you believe this is going to happen again? And yeah. yeah. And it did. And it did. And it did. It was a pointless election. Mm-hmm. Apparently it cost uh, uh, a lot of money. I don't care. I there. That's my take. I don't care how much money things cost when it comes to the government. Exactly. Okay, that's a good. That's a great take. <laughs> All right. On to uh, the not politics thesis, part two. So this time we're gonna we're gonna extend our 
are this is a part two this is our first part two i think right yeah i do think it is all right so this is the part two of the not politics thesis and and maybe we could just briefly for our our dedicated listener uh recap in case they forgot or missed what happened last time what what was the the the, the gist in a sentence or two of of part one of the not politics thesis I think what we did successfully, leaving out what we didn't do successfully, I think what we managed to do was we said there's uh, this theory of something called the public sphere, right? Which right. is, is kind of core and critical to the idea of politics for political theorists and people that care about what politics really is. Yeah. Um, and, and it kind of originates back to uh, classical Greece in which there was a, you know, a rigid division between public life, which is kind of political action and so on, versus private life, which is strictly concerned with your you know, need to survive, your household, your family, things that don't really um, involve like, uh, you know, the progress of civilization and these like kind of bigger picture things. It's more like about um, your consumer needs right like you have to eat and you have to have shelter and things like that so we were discussing that and how if we use that idea that that politics is like kind of the public sphere um did it re-emerge in the enlightenment of in the european enlightenment did it come back after a dark age uh, of feudalism where there wasn't any public sphere and did it uh did it re-emerge in the lifestyle and in the uh, kind of um, uh, the ascendance of the bourgeois uh, coffee shop, the Cafe. coffee shop, the yeah, the the people that that uh, newspaper, the op-ed page, right. right? Various places where these these discussions happen. So so inquiring minds want to know: Did it come back? That's right. Inquiring minds want to know. So today, what we'll do is, I guess, we'll talk about if it came back. Um, I thought we, we did we not did we, is is the thesis not no is that not the thing you're defending here? Good point. So today we'll just argue that it didn't come back again. But like so, we what we got to do now, I think, because we have that we have grounded ourselves in that sort of political theory world, and mm -hmm. now we're going to look at what um, what did kind of uh, establish itself as normal functioning politics in, during the Enlightenment. Uh, the thing that kind of covered the globe in the ensuing years and still covers the globe today that we all think of as normal institutional politics and, um, and kind of like, uh, 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 like the, the apparatus of power and like the way that, that governance works and um, the kind of uh, elite and, and how they, they deal with each other. And we're going to try and um, look at how that came to be and if it came to be in the same way that uh, that 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 all important classical concept of a distinction of public versus private life happened, so, sounds good. Okay, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> so where do we start? Where, where do we where do we start to, to 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 tell this this story? Yeah. So I mean. I, I don't want to rehash everything, so I'll just say, like, what we 
kind of decided last last episode was the in the classical world, according to Hannah Arendt, my my touchstone political theorist there that I mentioned a lot last time, um, the classical world, the Greeks and all those fine people um, prior to uh, the Christian era and so on. Um, in the old days, there was like a city where they did their stuff, right? There was usually like a walled city with like defenses. And uh, the people inside the city were like uh, a different classification from everything outside. They believed that they themselves were human and important and they had stories and, 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 uh, and meaning in their lives and so on. And that everything else, any other, even other people that were outside the walls uh, who weren't subject to their laws and didn't speak their language and so on, those were just kind of like nature. They were part of the backdrop. They didn't really have political life. They couldn't extract themselves out of just the, like the sort of the struggle for survival and resources and so on. Can I tell you my, my favorite joke about that? That, that my, um, I used to have a, a, an ancient philosophy professor who really loved to tell this, this story. Mm-hmm. And he would say, do you know why they called them barbarians? Mm-hmm. And why did they? Because they went bar, 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 bar. Mm-hmm. They were unintelligible speakers. Is that a joke or is that not just exactly? It's true. That's what, exactly yeah. what he means. Mm-hmm. He loved to share that fact because he thought oh, it was okay. funny. Oh, he was like a kind of a nerdy guy who thought that yeah, was funny. Yeah, he's, he's a professor. Like, you know, they don't... They, they age out. <laughs> Fair enough. So that is true, though, I think, right? Like, the idea of that a is barbarian... True. Yeah, like, barbaros. Those who speak nonsense, basically. They speak nonsense. They just make noises, right? Like a, yeah. like a cat. It's um, like calling somebody uh, a, a, a babbler or something. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, we went over this, right? Like, speech is super important. Like, that's the, the big mm-hmm. thing that people do in public life. They talk instead of, like, kind of you know, forage for nuts and hit each over each other over the head with sticks, right? Like they, they are intelligible. They make points. They have a deeper uh, level of, you know, beyond just figuration and whatever. So that's something. And so the point I'm trying to drive out here is that like the, in the ancient world, you have these cities which have walls and inside them, there are, these people who think of themselves as quite important and what's what they're doing uh, and like this this doesn't even have to be just the greeks it could be like in the middle east like babylon like all those other ancient cities that um like are in the bible and stuff like that how do they work they're 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 a walled enclosure in which there are some rich people and outside there's all of this resource production and uh so they don't simply uh like oh you weren't talking about the barbaros then you're just talking about like the agricultural so the so the there's yeah so i should be clear i guess like the barbaros the barbarians right like they're <laughs> they're, they're like Barbar other bros. <laughs> yeah, sorry yeah. all right go on they're like other other countries i guess they're like, yeah, other, they're like other, the other against which you are greek or whatever right yeah you're talking but, about people that are still greek but they're not aristocrats or whatever. Sure. Know. So like the 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 real distinction that matters is that city wall, right? It's not it's not so much um that 
that uh, there are like different nations out there and some of them you can understand and some of them you can't like the the idea of language being the barrier between you and the other people it only goes so far there's actually all those other farms out there that you subjugate and then and then they they feed the cities like farmers feed cities right so like there's nobody actually producing food or at least not enough right inside the city walls they're getting it from out somewhere else and um the concentration of capital of uh, and and capital is probably the wrong word in that era but like the concentration of resources and and, and surplus right. happens inside the city wall and outside there's all this production that goes on and it's agricultural production but if there's any manufacturing it happens uh, you know as well and it's exploited uh, by those inside the city walls they are the ones who have the um the the skills to uh, extract a surplus and and then put it to other uses building temples um paying people off for different reasons and so on um so you in the ancient world you have a system in which there's a physical place where the concentration of resources occurs that makes sense got it so that's the idea of the city and and it's a really important one um and in the ancient world, you often hear the term city-state, like Athens is a city-state, Sparta is a city-state, right? Why is it a state? Um, why it's isn't kind of it? Anachronism, right? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Like, it seems a little outdated, but, like, uh, I, I'm bringing it up because we're going to start talking about the modern state. And so mm -hmm. I think that it's important that we understand why there's a reusing of that term. Um, so is it because it has a constitution? Like, I don't. I don't think so. No. Oh. Okay. I think that the idea of the city-state is that there were they, that was the political unit against other political units. So you could have fifty city-states, and you know whether they determine them their their character by on the basis of like, you know, this one has uh, is supported by this god, or or this one is um, speaks this language, whatever it is that they like care most. They about. have laws. Yeah, they have laws and and That's like I'm, like and there's an apparatus for enforcing them and and figuring like are yeah. is it a city state if it doesn't have laws? I think they could have laws that govern their dealings with each other though, right? So like you could have a, you could have city states that all adhere to a, a common. Um, Do they? Yeah, I like, mean, there's they, like there's like codes, but there's not like is there like a court to try? You know, like, is there like a, a way that other than war that city states deal with each other? They would definitely have like a distinct law for the people that live within them. I'm not disputing you on, on that point at all. Like, yeah, they, it doesn't they, matter. Okay. Got no, it. Like, it, it's important, but like, but, but I think like the, 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 um, the, the thing that, that the state provides or the city state provides is what we would now think of as something like national character or like, um, well, isn't that language though? Like, yeah, language language yeah. is part of it, but it's like it, it 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 was just organized differently then because you're you're in a peninsula where or like if you're in Greece, right? A lot like all these city states probably speak similar languages or dialects of the same language. They all speak they, Greek. That's why they're not barbarians, right? Exactly. Like, rules about how you fight Greek city states versus fighting Persians or whatever. No, I think that's true. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, so like uh, you have uh, a city state like Athens, which is a, a political unit distinct from Sparta. Um, they're able to just like, they're able to 
communicate with Spartans because they both speak a Hellenistic language. But if a Spartan gets into trouble while he's inside the walls of Athens, he's subjugated to different laws. He's not the same as, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a different kind of entity in Athens than he's in Sparta. He's yeah. a stranger. He's a stranger, yeah. So, um, so you have these, like, th this, this important political unit in which, like, I think even Socrates wasn't properly an Athenian or something like that. There's no, he's totally an Athenian. Wasn't he, like, not one? Or somebody wasn't. Anyway, um, yeah. like, that, that's, that's not interesting. But, like, the, like the, the way that you could be, like, be an agent within um, public life in Athens meant that you had to be recognized as one. So yeah, it wasn't simply based on language. It wasn't simply based on um, whether, like, I, I guess it is based on laws, but it's like, it's not simply because you've lived under those laws your whole life. It's also because of your name and your, um, like, if you've upheld your honor over time and whatever. Like, so there's uh, like a... Political leadership. You belong to a city. Right. There's something like citizenship. Mm -hmm. Okay. And like, and there's slaves that live inside the walls of Athens, but they're not citizens. Not citizens. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, uh, I'm trying to drive at the point though that there's like the the distinction of the city and then the uh, the the actual productive work outside of it. So, although the farms uh, that are under controls of Athenians or whoever. Um, are outside the walls like the 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 benefit the surplus from them uh you know benefits the athenian citizens inside and this like this system right i think we should just to simplify things we should talk about this system of like the city being the kind of concentration of um power that goes outside of itself right okay so empire right like you like they're all little empires they have to have influence over farms outside where these people who don't who aren't like the actual workers maybe the owners of the farms are citizens and they come and they debate in the forum and they do their thing but the the workers are out there picking grapes and whatever and mm. olives and they, mm. and they're not they don't do they don't have any any um citizenship they don't have any political life exactly. right so you have a perimeter there right uh, outside of which productive life exists, but doesn't influence, um, doesn't fully influence like the, the, the public sphere. Um, so we eventually, we need to talk about, um, if this is going to bother anyone who's heard this, this like kind of old canard before, but we're going to have to talk about the Roman Empire and so forth. Right. Oh yeah, I fucking anytime anyone starts talking about the Roman Empire, it bugs you. Well, it's just I'm never I don't know anything about the Roman Empire, and <laughs> it seems like one of those things that, yeah, I don't know. But but don't I don't want to stop. Like you've got a point to make about the Roman Empire, so I maybe do. we can just get in and out, and it's going to be about an important shift. I'm assuming in the meaning of citizenship or something like that. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's going to be about um so like let's take the Ro like let's take Rome Rome's a city, right? It's got walls. So let's take Rome as like kind of like the last one of those cities. It was the last city. Got it. The last city state, right? So um 
I'm going to read a little quote here from Brooks Adams. And uh, if we need to, I'll explain who he is later. If not, maybe, like you just, maybe you could just, just give us a little preview. Like why, why are we talking about Brooks Adams? Well, I'm just going to read this quote because he, so what he does is he writes this uh, essay called the law of uh, civilization and decay. And it's, ah. it, it's kind of a, a very long sweeping history uh, from the end of the Roman empire to uh, the modern, uh, basically till 1900. Would and, it be fair to call him a 20th century upper class crank? Yeah, it would. Yeah, he was. He belonged to the Adams, uh, the family of like the the Adamses of like U.S. presidents and Supreme Court justices and so forth. Like he was a blue blooded American uh, at a time when you know they were all losing their their power. And so he spent his time writing uh, about how that is the crumbling of civilization of, of the world of, the, of world civilization. Yes, exactly. How like the, the you know like the the worthy aristocracy that founded the republic was losing ground to a bunch of uh, global finance capital, which was something he didn't bother to say when he meant certain in- kinds of last names. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So okay. Um, all right. So that that's that's Adams. So he's he's. We're going to read this quote from from uh, what what Brooks Adams? Yeah, Brooks Adams. That, that just sounds like a, a blue blooded. Like he's got two kind of first names, you know, <laughs> or two last names, really. Or two um, last. He sounds like if he was alive today, he would wear those like those pink shorts. Do you know what I'm talking about? Are they short or long? They're like uh, they're like I don't know. It's like shorts that you wear with a dress shirt and like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're all these colors. Yeah, like kind of like you know, Maybe it's um, like boat shoes too. Anyway, yeah, Brooks. yeah. I was I was gonna say like definitely like a like a kind of like a, a, a Cape Cod kind of yeah Cape Cod kind of thing. That's right. Well, he was a Massachusetts guy. Okay, um, he came from Quincy, Massachusetts, which was named after like his grandfather. Yeah. So you uh, know. yeah. So Just anyway, so in spite of all that, like you know, we're we're describing a, like, a guy who's a huge dickhead, but like. This this essay I've read it like thirty times. I really like it. It's good. Okay. It's very racist and and uh, evil, but at the same time, like this doesn't bad. This is necessarily means bad. There's, there's okay. a lot of like good um, uh, kind of big picture structural stuff in it. Right. Like, let me read this. This is from page one of the whole thing. This is like kind of the my choice for like the kind of thing that sets the whole thing off. And it's going to okay. be a, a little bit. It's a couple of sentences. It's not super brief, but let me go for it. Starting, right. starting quote. The Latins had little economic versatility. They lacked the Latins, so that's the Romans. Yeah, I know. Uh, Editor's note. Okay. The Latins had little economic versatility. They lacked the instinct of the Greeks for commerce or of the Syrians and Hindus for manufactures. They were essentially landowners and when endowed with the acquisitive faculty, usurers. Uh, the latter early developed into a distinct species at once more subtle of intellect and more tenacious of life than the farmers. And on the disparity between these two types of men, the fate of all subsequent civilization has hinged. At remote antiquity, Roman society divided into creditors and debtors. As it consolidated, the power of the former increased, thus intensifying the pressure on the weak, until when centralization culminated under the Caesars, reproduction slackened, disintegration set in, and after some centuries of decline, the Middle Ages began. End quote. 
So here Adams gives us his version of the story of why the Roman Empire fell. And it's a bit different than most of the ones that you hear. It's basically that he's saying the, the native population of Italy, the Latins, like the, even, not even the entirety, but like, you know, that's who he's talking about. Um, they weren't good at uh, industry and they weren't good at commerce. They were basically small landowners. And when they became an imperial power or something, like when they began to extend themselves, some of them were good at usury, like uh, money speculation, and it's others... Money, isn't it? Sorry? Isn't usury just lending money with interest? Yeah, and then, yeah, exactly, speculation. Like, they were, they, they were bankers. Okay. Uh, and, and the others were just the same old plain farmers, and the ones that remained kind of uh, in the traditional way of life lost out because the concentration of wealth to the bankers became so extreme that they could no longer maintain their small farms because the people living in the cities, these big bankers, were, uh, own, they were the owners of large farms in Egypt and um, Turkey and other parts of uh, the Mediterranean where the small farmers didn't exist. They were all tenant farmers who basically were slaves, cost nothing to um, produce their manufacturing, and they completely outcompeted this, the Italian farmers, who were independent, like small share, like small uh, landowners. So it's a it's a a system that that drives out its own uh, core population, right? Like you get a few winners, and then the rest of them lose out because the winners are all uh, extending their power around uh, other um, more profitable, uh, productive slaves, basically, in other parts of the world. Oh. Does that make sense? Sounds uh, sort of familiar if you're a certain American 20th century crank, probably. But yes, it does make sense to me. Okay. Um, yeah, there are obviously like uh, uh, you can. I'm waiting definitely... for you to fill in that gap, but that's fine. We don't have to. We can just talk about Rome. Yeah, let's start by doing that. So yeah, so 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 he says that the whole history of Europe comes from this, right? You get um, enough. Uh, but I thought that's what destroyed the Roman Empire. It is. So you get this concentration of wealth that produces bankers, right? Okay. But, but you don't have an indigenous population that produces a, enough of that wealth to keep it going. Okay. So the, bank, the bankers go out and they find places in Egypt where there's already these slave farmers or, or the, the fellaheen they're called. They're like tenant farmers who basically have no rights and they, they, they barely eat anything. They can continue to produce uh, agricultural goods um, at a much lower cost than a European farmer would, right? Uh, because they they are they basically they have um, better soil. No, well, probably they do, but like they're like they're they're just not um, they don't have rights, I guess, in the same way because ah. uh, they're they're already dominated by large city states that have forced them into subjugated. Um, exploitative situations long or earlier. I thought they had all kinds of slaves. So we're talking about 
the development of the system, right? So in the early days, Europe was not like Egypt, right? In the early days, Europe was like... Well, this is the early days. I thought we were talking about the end of the Roman Empire. Yeah, so this is... The, he's, he's probably covering like 400 years in this, in this paragraph. Okay. But he's saying like uh, the early Latins, the ones like at the beginning of the Republic, right? Okay. 200 BC. Okay. Uh, they, um, they were basically farmers. Bankers emerged among their, their, their population and they got to, the bankers got to getting so much profit that they, they basically priced the, the, the local farmers out of competition so that they became uh, wage slaves competing against other populations outside of Italy that were able to produce better than they were. Because they facilitated through empire, like global free trade, basically, or and that made the bankers less beholden to the local. Is that the story? Like, is this a collapse of national barriers and things like mm, that? No. So the bankers are exploiting their own. Uh, Tell me the day-to-day work of a banker in this scenario. So they take their money and they mm-hmm. want to turn it into more money. Mm-hmm. And they do that by lending it. So mm-hmm. who do they lend it to? The farmers. Which farmers? So initially, it's, a, it's an Italy-only operation. Okay. So they lend it to an Italian farmer. Okay. The Italian so farmer. Out of now, and you'll give me back... A return yes. when you harvest or it's like buying futures or something is that what's going on yep okay and then the farmer can't do that uh roman law insists that he becomes a slave to that banker okay so now he has slaves yeah okay uh so the kind of small scale enterprise of one family that owns a farm in italy which was what this emerged out of right like that was their cultural style mm-hmm. uh collapses because these people all become okay. slaves to the city city concentrated bankers and the 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 bankers in the city are own all of the profits that come out of the farms okay so the problem is that they they've extracted as much as they can out of the local people and then they have to go abroad is that what you're saying uh, so they've extracted as much as they as they, as they're po- as is possible, but they they haven't bled them completely dry. They're still getting something out of them. However, mm-hmm. they've become wealthy enough that they can buy armies and go out and get other territory. So this is the genesis of empire, right? And okay. so what happens when they do that is they realize the small farmer who is my slave because of legal reasons because he didn't pay me back in time. He only produces 15 bushels of uh, olives or whatever the fuck they make in Italy. And like, uh, uh, he, he, and he needs this much uh, food in order to keep him going, right? Whereas in Egypt, I get 25 bushel, bushels of uh, cotton or whatever they make in Egypt, and he barely eats anything. He eats one lentil a week. So. Right. The the productive value yeah, yeah. Uh, abroad is is pricing out the productive value at home. So eventually, you don't have any farmers left in Italy. You have bankers only, 
everyone else has had to sell themselves into wage slavery or leave. Right. And okay. But you still need olives, right? Like there's still a diversity of, of commodities. No. Yeah. So you bring some slaves over from Syria or Egypt or whatever. Oh, I see. So you start importing these cheap slaves. Mm -hmm. I see. So, Okay, that that part was getting lost on me. So the 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 thing is that you bring over these, you bring over cheaper labor. Okay, but also, um, Europe. So we're talking about Italy, but everything west of Italy and kind of north also is the same way, right? The Gallic, yeah, like France and so on, Um, and, and all of those places kind of work the same way. They have small farms. They have like a kind of a warrior farmer nomad kind of world. Whereas in the east to south, you get places where there are big cities, there's yeah. manufacturing, there's yeah. textiles, there's more yeah. complex types of uh, products. Generally and, a far better world. Yeah, well, better stuff at least, right? And exactly the kind of stuff that those bankers who are inside the walls of the city want to buy. They, like, you know, when they have surplus wealth, They've already taken care of all the cotton or uh, you know raw raw materials. Cut all the cotton they need. They want they want. Cotton was a dumb example. Olives was the better example. They've got all the olives they need and whatever. But now they're buying you know like uh, silks and uh, ocelot uh, earlobes and ocelot earlobes. Yeah, and all of that's coming from like you know Chaldesia or fucking Babylon or whatever. It's It's not coming from Europe. So. The end result of this concept is that once Rome gets rich enough, once the Roman elite gets rich enough, they just completely lose interest in Europe and all of their money's going. And it's not in, in intellectual interest that, loses, that they lose it in, in Europe. They, they want to live there. They like it there. It's fine. But all of their money is going east, right? Because that's where the good stuff is. And so when you have like in financial terms they call it specie like the um you got a trade deficit coins right like, like oh yeah yeah metallic co- specie so like that's what you, that's what coins are called specie specie yeah oh, okay so all the specie that empire accrues and an empire by the fourth century or whatever sorry third century uh ad is big it's it's all of europe it's the middle east it's north africa it's 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 a lot of these it's various regions and they're very different they have very different economic production everything right mm. so if all the specie specie is coming into italy uh and concentrating there inside the walls of the city none of it's going back into the european farms they're all it's all going back into the manufacturing centers and the 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 goods production of near Asia. So like, you know, Turkey, Syria. Um, right. They, they've got all the, all the money's going away from Europe towards, towards those other places. Yes. Which isn't really a problem except that we're being kind of Eurocentric. Well, it's all, it's a problem if you are wondering what, uh, what caused the fall of the Roman empire, right? Because according to this narrative, it's just that all the elites and bureaucracy and government followed the money East. It just left the that West. Well, that, that is exactly kind of what happened, right? Like then you end up with yep. Constantinople and you get the Byzantines for another thousand years or whatever, right? Yeah. So I do like this theory. Again, that he's a... So much as Paul has just moved to the East. 
is what yeah. you're saying. It's not, yeah. it's not mysterious. It's not because barbarians invaded. It's not because um, Christianity occurred. It's not for any of those reasons. Right. Literally, they just spent their money over there, and then they followed their money where it went. It's right. shockingly, like, woke. This Neat thesis. and clean, I would call it. Right. It's very okay. simple, right? But it's also like, you know, like, like <laughs> you saying this just makes you go like, wait a minute, maybe the fall of Rome is just a completely, like, Eurocentric, like, myth that we invented. Like, this makes way more sense that it didn't really fall, it just moved east. Yeah, and it didn't really fall, it just moved east. We didn't count it anymore. We, yeah. we, like, we, I think we knew that part. And I mean, I guess you could say the Byzantine Empire had financial troubles for most of its thousand years but like it's a thousand years right like it's a, that, it's a long like it, it held it, itself yeah. together pretty well so yeah. um it made so, yeah. itself into the like you know the ones the thousands yeah yeah no it's 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 a significant world power for a very long time um, that's pretty good considering that like you know when's your like year one when christ is born <laughs> The Romans are already going mm -hmm. pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. So then, like, yeah, when's the fall of Constantinople? When does it become like fourteen something? Oh, is that long? Yeah, I thought. Wow, well, okay. So it like it gets right in there. Yeah. Okay. No, like the eastern half, like on its own, probably lasts twice as long as the actual Roman Empire that we think of, like the full one. The yeah. Greek okay. Europe. Yeah. Anyway, point. Uh, so. What it comes down to is the uh, the city state that. So you're right in in the sense that like um, our our view of that story is colored by our sense that like we lost something when Rome left Europe, right? When Rome turned east and and left Western Europe, then we call it the fall, but yeah. it wasn't. It was just concentration because the the concentration of capital and 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 resources and and surplus that was already happening the whole time just got more intensified and and it couldn't sustain itself uh by spending uh by reinvesting anything into the farms of europe it had to just spend on the goods of asia like that was all that was left it was just like it's because it doesn't produce anything on its own it just um spends right so uh the yeah the character of of empire doesn't change it just keeps shrinking right like it just keeps concentrating uh the surplus of all of this territory and there is a climate reason as well but it's you know i don't know enough to really talk about it it's just basically that like there was a climate or what sorry did you just get just just sum it up it either got cold or it got hot which one was it yeah it was really uh perfect uh, temperature in the mediterranean <laughs> nice to, yeah, to to grow and accrue wealth through agriculture was perfect until about um, like uh, probably 100 BC or I mean, no, it might have been 180, like just after the empire started. Uh, so during the time when Rome was expanding, it was getting the best of everything. It was getting the best production of all the uh, Mediterranean world. And then the climate changed, and there was a the. Like, so that good period was called the Roman climatic optimum mm. and then it, it ended and then the, the decline kind of starts not long after that. So they're no longer getting the best of all of their territories and they're still spending like maniacs. So they don't have the, uh, right. so why would you want to stay in this stupid frozen landscape when you yeah. could go off to beautiful Turkey? Yes. 
beautiful, beautiful turkey. Yeah. Um, so the next part of the story, I guess, is, uh, you know, Brooks Adams tells us that that dynamic sets the stage for all of European history. We have a creditor <laughs> class. Oh, okay. There's a creditor class. Creditor class that was that, that elite that left for Asia and a debtor class. And there's another part of this that... Uh, the shivering have, Europeans. The shivering Europeans. They're farmers, right? Right. Um, but there's another part of this that I should go over before we go any further, which is that how do they make sure that the farms keep giving them their cut, like that sending their cut to the city? Swords, yeah. obviously. Swords. It's always swords. Yes. Adams will use the word police, which I find interesting. Okay, cool. Uh, so the soldiers, like the legions, right? Yeah. They are at the disposal of capital. They're, they're the, 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 the strong arm of the moneyed class. Um, what are they doing? They're, they're taking the interests of the city, which are contained behind the city walls normally, and they're extending it right uh, outside the walls. They're going all over the world and enforcing uh, the, the system to make sure that production benefits the elites within the city. Okay. Um, the, city, the elites within the city don't do it themselves. They pay a different type of person, a soldier, to be the police and ensure that the farmers go and do it. Don't do what they're told and don't fuck off on the, 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 like the, uh, the thing that they owe the city. It's important, I think, to mention here, like Adams again. So he's writing in like, I think 1890 or so, maybe a little earlier. And he's an American aristocrat. 19th century crank. He's a 19th century crank. Yes. Okay. And, and, and he's definitely the kind of person who would have become a Nazi if he lived long enough. Okay. So like there is some race theory going on here. Got some race he's talking about when he talks about uh, division of labor and yeah. stuff like that, he talks about it in very racial terms. So okay. the soldiers are a different, different, different kind of human, a different kind of person than the bankers, right? Like they're, they're bred for different things. Right. So the soldier who, you know, could be a Latin, could be a, a, a god. Are they the honorable ones, the soldiers, or? Uh, assuming the, 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 the bankers are not going to come out. Oh, that's right. No, you're right about that. All right. And there's a racial element to that, my friend. Yeah. But no, like, uh, it, we're, not, we're, we're not there yet. We, don't ha we, we haven't yet seen the emergence of his preferred race type okay. person. Okay. They will be exactly like himself. Uh, they're Celts or something, or Anglo-Saxons. No, they're like um, manufacturing-based elites of the modern era. <laughs> they are him. Okay, yeah, they are exactly him. They will emerge like when the year he is born. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Uh, but the um, so the soldier people, the the martial type, as he calls them, right? Okay. They're superstitious. They're a little bit uh, more imaginative. Imaginative is another word he uses for them. <laughs> what uh, is it? Like, they're a little bit gay. <laughs> like, what is that? Like, what does yeah, well, imaginative? So imaginative refers to the idea, I think, that like, um, 
like so imagine imagine like dark ages europe right yeah um i'm imagining the dark they're they're in like small isolated places they don't have a lot of like influence over them from like you know learn like educated people and whatever they don't have a lot of scientific knowledge right so they are not really afraid of people like because they're they're warriors right so like they're not afraid of like somebody with with an axe but they're afraid of nature so that makes them religious so like what? if there's famine or if there's like a storm or something that that's what could really hurt them that's... and they imagine a, a force behind that that uh has like you know a character like if the devil is there or like it's like fucking loki or whatever so okay. like th- that type of character that that reads into um threats that are non-human right because okay. you can fucking kill a guy with a stick like they're not afraid to do that but everything else uh that can kill them they make up these like stories in their head about how they're going to deal with it. And that's why they become um, like uh, influenced by priests and like Christianity and stuff, because that has an answer to that problem. If you, but where did did all they come? Okay. That's a whole other class of people then the priests and the, like kind of important. Yeah. So like, like the, the, you know, the Christians, obviously they come from an urban culture. So they have like a sophisticated, intellectual background to their religion but um pagan oh and then they come up to these rubes who know how to kill people but don't understand yeah crops failed yeah and then priests of the like you know uh, odin religion or whatever like they're not necessarily um uh sophisticated or 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 literate or whatever but they have the same kind of influence over those warriors because they say i can explain to you why your son starved or and tell you how to make it not happening um so that's the imaginative type right and like and so um when the dark ages occur these uh, all these bankers disappear um and okay. okay they've all gone to asia right they follow their money right uh but you have behind these these warriors yes and they're the police they used to be influenced by witch doctors Sure, and they used to be the police for the bankers, but the bankers are gone, so now they're the new top of the pecking order. I the, see. The police who were supposed to enforce the system of exploitation that, that benefited the city dwellers, the usurers, the bankers, they're still there, but now they're the top of the pecking order. They don't they're have, afraid of the dark. And they're afraid of the dark. They're very easily influenced by people that kind of whisper in their ear and say, you Man, know. As little do they know, it's the dark ages. <laughs> it's, someone should have told them that the... <laughs> <laughs> all right sorry anyway, go on yeah okay so i get the picture okay that's interesting so so they leave behind this sort of paramilitary force of people who are very good at dealing with people but don't know how to deal with nature and so they are susceptible to these people who can explain nature in these sort of variously sophisticated ways of mythology is that what you're saying you got it i'm gonna okay. take a piss i'll be right back no so this this will be helpful so like the um that superstitious imaginative warrior elite that we were just talking about right mm-hmm. they're german right so like uh oh, oh okay but that doesn't mean like nazi german or whatever he would have been a nazi though he loves these guys right? he probably would have been yeah he probably would have thought so but but like okay. I'm not I'm not just talking about German Germans. I'm talking about they're just they're not Latins. Oh yeah, they're, no, they're Teutonic stock. You know, they're, they're Aryans. That's they're like they're they're French. They're the Franks. They're, oh okay. They're the Anglo-Saxons. 
um, they're everything that becomes Europe in the modern world, right? Like all the color the skin, I think, that makes them strong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. Okay, but they're imaginative. They're afraid of the dark. It's bad. Yeah. Okay. They're afraid of the oh, dark. Okay. They're imaginative, and they're 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 Germans, and so they're um, they're the police, right? That mm-hmm. they used to they used to work for the uh, Latin bankers. This is neat. We should we should read this next to like that theory that says like the police are how we constituted the modern theory of whiteness by like incorporating Irish people and Italians into the police force to stop them from fighting blood feuds in New York City. It would probably a- it would probably be a favorable comparison. I'm sure. I think it would saying, like the thing that unifies the the, the master white races is uh, they used to be the police. Yeah, and and it, like it's. Well, it's- it's not completely flaky, right? Like, like we're talking about a group that was subservient before, mm-hmm. and uh, they just because of like um, like calamitous world events, like a catastrophe on, yeah, like, yeah. on an enormous scale, they become um, the the top of the pecking order. The actual feudal uh, they become uh, kings and shit, of course, kings and, kings and shit. Yeah, yes. so they like it's it's. Uh, like they they have to figure out race uh, later. Like they don't really think about that at the time. They're like, we are no, one, but- tribe, tr- one group among groups. We're we're one tribe around among tribes. We're just not like those people that live in the cities and, and have all that money. Bankers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Got it. <laughs> I see um, what's happening. All right. Yep. So, uh, the the police wind up being the top of the pecking order. The priests mm-hmm. are whatever's left of like that, that kind of bureaucracy of the, the sort of city culture that, that is really receding. Like there, like there's, there's a bit of a church, uh, uh sort of oh, yeah. uh, hier- hierarchy still sure. there, mm-hmm. but they most of the power is gone. Okay. Right? Um, so, uh, if you go back to that like very clear geographical like territorial thing right mm. the, the credit is in the city and the debt is outside so that applies to the police too they have to get money from the 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 city to go and do their operations in the country they oh so that to- still has to happen so the now now the meathead superstitious kings and stuff have to become creditors is that what you're saying well, where are they going to get the money, right? Like they need to, they need like. Uh, what are they money for? They just they they have a bunch of serfs and they get their. But they don't produce much, right? Because European production is weak. It's not. It doesn't. There's no manufacturing. They're all. No, it's the Dark it's, Ages though. Like Europe is mm-hmm. kind of sucking, and everything else is going on in the other part of the world, and it's far more vibrant and exciting and cool, and 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 it's just a bunch of superstitious police fighting each other. In Europe, isn't that isn't that why it's the Dark Ages? Right. Yeah. So, but like, they still need to make some kind of money in order to go and like, let's say they want to wage a campaign against their neighbor, right? They got to pay their soldiers, so they have to have surplus. Okay. Right? Okay. So they can't just have serfs existing at a subsistent level. They have to make more than they need. Yeah. They have to make more than they need if they're going to do any big big fights with someone else, right? They're like they're warriors. All they care about is a big fight, but they okay. still need they still need the money to go and get it done. Um, and they are not like structurally designed as a group to produce wealth. They can take it at sword point, but they can't, they, they're, they're not, um, 
usurious. They don't have, they don't speculate like through coin and they don't also have any kind of interest in manufacturing. Again, that's never happened in Europe. It's all in, according to Brooks Adams, the Syrians and Hindus or whatever. Uh, so like, you know, in, in Europe you have like this new regime, which um, in order to get money, they need to get money. Basically they, they're never going to produce it themselves. Oh yeah. So, sure. So you're going to your neighbor and you're killing him and you're taking his stuff and then you're going to get better. And that is essentially the regimes that build themselves up. Right. Right. So now you have two kind of models that have existed in Europe since the Roman, like since the Roman empire started, you've had the one with the creditors at the, at the top. And then you've had the one with the creditors absent and the, the debtors at the top, the, the soldiers who need to, find money somewhere and, 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 and go and expand if they can. Okay. Um, this goes on for a little while within Europe, but it never develops anything. Like you never have a, a European king in, but from what is it? 450 to like a, you know, 1100 or whatever that, um, that, that changes the mode of production uh, on the basis of so much surplus, right? Like there's never, there's never the development of cities on their own terms. Uh, you don't have um, like uh, anything on the level of, um, you know, Asian and Middle Eastern, like kind of big cities. You just have castles. Peasants hanging around in the muck. Peasants hanging around in the muck. And then somewhere a rich castle, but yeah. that all the riches came from plunder or, just like, you know, beating your peasants hard enough, not, not innovation, not advanced manufacturing, nothing, uh, no, no development, right? right? In America, you'd call it internal improvements. You don't have that. Um, so the, uh, the big change happens with the Crusades. Aha, okay. Those, those superstitious meatheads finally made good by going and trying to plunder the educated Muslim world. Is that the idea? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the Greek world too. So this is when, as I said, 1450, the uh, Byzantine empire called it quits. Yeah. Um, but even before that, Venice, which is in Europe technically, although it's very much facing East, um, has been funding the crusades by lending them boats and in exchange for the boats, they got a chunk of each city that they conquered. Venice. So, yeah, Venice. So uh, you get a bunch of Germans run over there, take over a city like Accra, which was like, you know, in Syria. Um, two thirds of it goes to the conquerors who do nothing with it because they're Germans. They don't produce anything. And then a third of it goes to Venice, which they're merchants. So they're like, okay, let's keep the production going here. We like the manufacturing. Send it back to here. We'll collect the specie. I keep saying that wrong. Um, the coin, and uh, and and Venice was getting rich, right? So uh, the same thing happened. Eventually, you had like Genoa and uh, Florence doing the same thing. So is this the Renaissance? Is that what you're saying? Just before, but yes. Eventually, um, the Italian system, which was based on those those kind of mercantile cities, mm. was uh, uh, able to. Um, become like a like a a point of of um, 
trade from the open markets of the Middle East that had been opened by these crusades. Okay. We found a way for the Germans to do their crazy fighting and their bullshit and actually make money for Europe. Okay. That, that is, that is an amazing accomplishment. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that, so, so we've opened the door back to those dirty creditors. In a, in a sense, yes, but it's still, it's still um, going to be a bit of a problem because for now, all of the real authority, the governance is in the hands of the, the German aristocracy. Um, and again, I don't mean in Germany. I mean, yeah, yeah, I get French, it. Italy. call them all the kings and shit. Yeah, the kings. So those people are gathering all that money from, from the East. And yeah. what are they doing with it? Spending it on anything. They're spending crowns it on and swords and stuff. Crowns and swords. Like they're they're finding ways to make war more expensive. Basically, right. is this when you when are the Gothic cathedrals? Is that when you get this? The beginning of the Crusades towards the middle of the Crusades. So like when that money starts it's coming. Like a, in. a way to use up that surplus. Probably. Really I would I would suspect so. Yeah, because it's it fits the timeline All exactly right. right? Um, Saint uh, Louis, like Louis the Good or whatever he was called, was like a crusade presiding king of France, and he's the guy that built all the best cathedrals. So, okay, it happened at the same time. I think it's twelve hundreds. So, fast forward a little bit, like closer to the Renaissance, almost at the Renaissance now, and you've got uh, like some major turnovers starting to happen in the regimes of these uh, kingdoms. They're uh, like the the kind of uh, aristocracies that used to be kind of so meatheaded are giving way to ones that are a little bit less meatheaded and more interested in putting that money uh, to work, but still not in a way that develops any European manufacturing or or complex economy. It's still um, about spending and not producing. A class could arise. I think you're, yes, I think you're forecasting something, Mike. Yeah. Sort of illusion, but yeah. Go on. Yeah, so I mean, you're, you're, you're yeah, you know what I'm going to say. So it's like uh, the, the thing that we're approaching now is the, the era of the modern state, almost, almost there. We're within a couple hundred years. Right. And uh, uh, what that's going to mean is that we're going to start to see uh, a governance structure that can do more than just spend money. It's going to eventually learn how to invest the money into productive areas. But before that happens, you need to either change the mindset of those German aristocrat leaders so that they think about something else besides spending and building armies and building giant opulent cathedrals and things like that and do something like you know, invest in a cotton mill or something. Uh, Why would you ever want to do that? Or you're going to have to replace them wholesale with a different type of person, right? That's probably going to have to happen. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about the specie again. So it started flowing in from the Crusades. And I think that moved the needle a lot. Like you get the development of European banking, which 
didn't really exist before. You get an urban culture, which produces the Renaissance in Italy and uh, the Northern Europe. Um, and you have these uh, individuals that start to exist that had never really existed before who are richer than the aristocrats, more powerful than the aristocrats, but basically just common people. So the Fuggers, uh, who were the uh, financiers of the Habsburg dynasty for probably 300 years. Um, Jacob Fugger was called the richest man in the world. Um, you have the Medici, um, famous banking family from Florence, uh, and many others. Like um, The names don't mean much to me, but there's a long list of names. And by the time of the uh, Thirty Years' War, which is in the 1600s, um, the entirety of Europe was at war with itself. It was basically along religious lines. It was Catholic versus Protestant, but on both sides, there were Protestant um, financiers who were funding the war. So you have war profiteering a couple hundred years later that wasn't really possible before because you weren't really allowed to do that if you weren't a king or something like that. You didn't, you didn't have any money and there was no city or no trade network, trade nexus to like build money off of eventually they become more powerful than the actual princes themselves um within a pretty short period of time so um and then yeah right and then they start fucking taking over but uh so it starts with the crusades because that opens up asian coin coming back in but oh, that coin. okay got it yeah yeah because like we were talking about rome and how they yeah, never yeah, left really got, got over yeah, so, they, so let's, let's rehearse. They never got over the, the deficit in terms of like a complex economy and, and, and enough um, coin. And then uh, they just didn't have that problem because they weren't really money people. They were just kill, kill people. The Crusades changed that. Money comes back in. It starts to accumulate, but they don't really know what to do with it because they're still the kill, kill type German people. Right. Uh, at this point in the Renaissance, they start to find... America, right? So oh. the Spanish find, and the Spanish are a classic German regime, the Habsburgs. They find Potosi, the silver mines. They start bringing coin over to Europe from the Americas. It's not even coin, like nobody even spends it there. It's like, it's unmined. They just start building mines, bringing silver over, gold as well. And uh, all of a sudden, it's getting flush again. Um, this is like a much bigger uh, impact than the wealth of the Near East from the Crusades, right? This is changing structures. Mm. Uh, the Spanish regime doesn't really outlive it. They get basically uh, defeated by the fact that they can't figure out how to spend this money in productive ways. Um, at the same time, Holland begins to emerge and England begins to emerge as capitalists. Uh, European states. Um, they are figuring things out in a different way, but one thing they do that's very important, like England in particular, they have pirates, private uh, enterprises that go out and just stop the ships that are full of Spanish silver and take it. So they just take the specie and bring it home, right? Unfortunately, uh, for this new kind of um, class of adventure capitalists like the pirates, the privateers, the colonial uh, um, 
manufacturing and trading cities that that emerged like you know in new york batavia whatever um there's still not much in europe to invest in and when and, and the 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 absolute power of the monarchies still taxes most of the wealth once it like the wealth is all yours once before it comes inside the european state but once it gets into european territory so much of it goes to the government right it just go, just disappears and it turns out that the government doesn't have any productive way to spend it they spend it on the salaries of officers they have big bureaucracies at this point um, they spend it on wars, which they're finding ways to make very, very expensive at this point. And they all go broke. The problem with that is if you are a citizen under the Habsburg kingdom and the Habsburg government owes you money, they can just default. There's nothing you can do. They, they'll kill you. They'll, they'll, they'll deprive you of your rights. They'll exile you. So the private investor who has money from the new world or whatever they ha wherever they got it, um, wants to fund the government in some kind of expense, there's a huge risk, right? Because the government can always just say, no, we're not paying you back. We don't have any more money. And I'll kill you if you argue. So that kind of system it seems a bit volatile, right? But it is starting to be something more like a modern capitalist system. You do have um, enough wealth coming into Europe that it can be spent on things. You just have a regime that doesn't know how to spend on the right things. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. Um, so those kingdoms, those Habsburg, Bourbon, Stuart, and eventually Hanover kingdoms in England, um, they all eventually become states. Mm. And what's very interesting about this to me is that we talk about the city state where the kind of the elite uh, urban banker class, the creditor class lived inside the walls, right? And they decided what they invested in, in those farms and whatever the agricultural production, the manufacturing they wanted. And uh, they enforced it by paying soldiers and investing in um, police actions and so on. That got replaced by a police governed system who didn't know how to invest or credit or anything. They just, they were debtors. And if they needed money, they just took it if they could. And if not, they went broke. Right. Um, so now you have a class again emerging um, that can be the creditors. They're getting money from the new world. They're getting money from Asia. They're getting money in their explorations and they're crediting it to the state. But the state is a debtor. It's not generating that kind of money on its own. It's not generating that kind of surplus on its own. And it always needs an outsider to provide it with something, some kind of um, uh, funds for their ever-expanding ambitions. And eventually that system becomes too volatile. And those absolute states that are unable to uh, properly utilize all of this like crazy amount of profit, crazy amount of surplus. Um, they have to come to some kind of arrangement with this external creditor class. So what's the arrangement, Zeke? 
Yeah. So can we do this in this episode or do we have, to I don't know. Do we, do we, do we, does that, that might be a cliffhanger. I think so. I, th- I, I, I can't get any, I, I can't do it without it being 20 more minutes. Well, that's, which is too long. I guess you'll just have to turn it next week, but this has been a pretty fascinating story. We've gone from ancient civilizations mm-hmm. through the fall of the Roman empire, mm-hmm. the rise of the Kings and Queens. And, and I, I my favorite part of this so far has been thinking about Kings as meatheads who are scared of the dark. Mm-hmm. You did and, seem to take to that part very well. It's really funny to me, <laughs> but anyway, so that part, and then, and then, and then they get too much money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they don't yeah. know how to spend it. All they know how, they how to do is borrow. They don't yeah. know how to invest and they don't know how to spend. Right. So we're going to have to next time talk about um, this new dynamic between the state, which is controlled by these crazy debtor German princes. Right. And this emergent class of people that actually know how to spend, but they haven't really figured out whether they want to or whether they're able to take political power. And this is the group that Habermas, who we talked about before, glorified as sort of like rediscovering the public sphere. Okay. What they've been doing so far in our story, and we'll get more into the details of how they actually deal with this crisis, but what, what they've been doing so far up to this point is avoiding any kind of public life any kind of public responsibility uh, that's all left to the debtors. They are just the lenders and they're outside. Um, so then they have to come into the city. 